everybody. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at StoryAline. As you've heard already, I just want to say again, thank you for joining us for our online service. We're working through a series called I Am, where we're looking at the seven I Am statements that Jesus made in the Gospel of John. We're doing this as a means of introduction to Jesus. We want you to know who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And so we're working through these statements where Jesus is clearly telling us who he is so that we can know who Jesus is and have a relationship with him. We are in the fourth week of our series. We are looking at the fifth statement because we looked at two of the same two statements in one passage last week. And so the passage that we're looking at tonight, Jesus makes the claim that he is the way and he's the truth and he's the life. Now, before we dive into this statement, I just want to um, own something for us real quick. This is an I am statement that's thought to be one of the more controversial statements that Jesus made in his life and ministry in our day and age. So as we'll look in a moment, Jesus is claiming to be the only way to God in heaven itself. It's one of those statements that causes people, maybe even some of us in our living rooms right now, to see Christianity as too narrow or maybe even dangerous. And so before we dive into Jesus' statement, I just want to ask that you consider a few things with me, all right? The first one is this, like our desires, we want Storyline to be a safe place. If you have doubts or if you have questions about Christianity or even Jesus, we want you to feel safe to come and talk to us about them. One of the things that we regularly tell our kids in our own home when we can tell that they have something they want to talk to us about that may be challenging or maybe even they're, they're scared to bring up to us. My wife and I constantly say, mom and dad are your safe place. We're your safe people. You can come and talk to us about anything. And that's the same thing I want you to feel about our church, that you can come, you can talk, and you can bring your questions and your doubts about Jesus or Christianity. And we love to talk with you about them. The second one is this. I just want to ask that you'd hear Jesus out that you would give them a chance. We claim to live in this open-minded society, but oftentimes when it comes to Jesus or Christianity, we can be a little put offish about it. But listen to this quote by Aristotle. It is a mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a thought about without accepting it. And so here's what I just want to ask. Like, I want to ask that you would be open-minded about what Jesus is claiming about himself here, that he is the way and he's the truth and the life. Now, at the end, you still may choose not to agree with what Jesus is saying, but I'm just simply asking that you would hear him all the way out through this sermon. Give him a chance. And then the third one is this. Consider why Jesus said what he said, why he's making this claim that he is the way and he's the truth and he's the life. Jesus is making this claim in what is considered the farewell discourse in John's gospel. He's making his final statements to his disciples before he goes to his death on the cross. And so Jesus has shared with his disciples that he's leaving them and they are distraught about this. So Jesus doesn't claim that he's the way in front of these large crowds where he's drawn a line in the sand and he's saying either you get in or you get out. No, that's not what Jesus is doing here. He's making this statement in this particular moment where he's made this announcement to his disciples that he's going away and they're distraught, they're phased, they're confused, and they don't know what's going on. And so Jesus is speaking this claim as a means of comfort 
to his disciples. Before a room of men who deeply love Jesus, he's making this bold claim that he's the way and they viewed it as a means of encouragement at that point in time. So my goal tonight is not that I'm trying to spark a debate or even try to make these audacious claims throughout my sermon. My desire is I simply just want to bring the Bible to you. I simply want to bring what the Bible has to say about Jesus and how he is the way and he's the truth and the life. And so here's what I want to do. I just want to unpack these three words, way, truth, and life that Jesus claims himself to be. Bring the Bible and what it has to say about Jesus to you. I want to look at a simple application and then we'll end with a, a short story. So first thing that I want to consider, the first point for us tonight is Jesus is the way and he'll bring you home. All right. Now I'm getting this in verses two through three. Andy already read the passage for us, but I'm just going to read it again as a means of a refresher for us. So Jesus says this, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Now, I genuinely feel for Jesus' disciples here because in John chapter 13, Jesus told them that he is leaving them and he's, where he's going, they cannot follow him. They're deeply confused by this, about why Jesus would leave them and why they can't follow him. I mean, you have to probably think about all the things that are going on in their head and their heart at this point in time. These disciples have given up everything to follow Jesus. They've given up businesses. They've given up previous ways of life. And so there's a lot of confusion. Like, is the last three and a half years all for nothing? And then Jesus is also speaking about going to his father's house where there's plenty of rooms and he's going to go prepare a place for them. They've been wandering with Jesus for the last three and a half years. The Bible says that a rock has served as their pillow. They haven't had a place to call home. And now Jesus is talking about this place that his father has, this huge place that has many rooms and he's going to go and prepare a place for them. Like you have to think like, has Jesus been holding out on us? Like, has there been a place that we could have gone and laid our, laid our head down at night this whole entire time as we've been following Jesus? So there's a lot of confusion that's going on in their head and their heart about what Jesus is saying. Now, we know from just on many of the different things that you can read about and even songs that have been written about this passage that Jesus is speaking about heaven itself. If you grew up in the church in the 90s, we had these really corny songs that would unpack this passage where God had this big house with lots and lots of rooms and huge table with lots and lots of food. Like you can go through the song if you know what I'm talking about. But Jesus is speaking about heaven here. So before we dive into Jesus' claim about being the way, we need to unpack some things about heaven that are going to bring some clarity to Jesus' claim to be the way. So we view heaven as this place where we go after we die. Now, if we took a poll in your house right now, I'd be willing to bet that every single person in your, your house would choose heaven over the alternative. The alternative is going to a place of fire and torment. Now, none of us want that for our life. So there's no way that we would end up choosing that for ourselves or for our loved ones. We would all choose to be a people that go to heaven after we die. 
Now we view this place as heaven from some of the things that we've taken from the Bible itself and then maybe even from our own imagination as well. We view heaven as this place of luxury where there's golden roads and walls that are, that are scattered with jewels and then large mansions that are all over the place. You have this idea that it's a place that's free of suffering where there's no pain and there's no tears and there's no longer any sickness. We also view heaven as a place where our loved ones go whenever they pass away. And so when we go to heaven, it will be this big family reunion with all these people that we love very dearly. So a lot of these are things that we take from the Bible, but some of them are things that we've tried to add in as well, some of our own thoughts and ideas. We think of heaven in all these terms, but the thing that really makes heaven heaven is that God is there. Jesus says of heaven that it's his father's house. It's the place where God has set up his permanent residence. He's the one who makes it a fond and luxurious and painless place. You see, heaven isn't heaven without God being there. It's none of those things that we have in our heads or even things that we've taken from the Bible if God isn't there himself. Now, Jesus says he's the only way to get to heaven. He says, if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. So Jesus is the one who takes us to the place where God the Father is, that's heaven itself. This is why Jesus claims to be the way. Later, he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, the questions that we're probably wrestling with in our our heads are, why is Jesus the only way? Like, why can no one come to the Father except through Jesus? Well, The Bible tells us many things about God and tells us many qualities about him. And one of those things is that God is holy, that he is perfect, that he is without blemish, that there is no fault, there's no no flaw, there's no sin that is within him. And this, because of this, God cannot associate with anything that is less than perfect. That's why Jesus, in one of the greatest sermons that he ever gave, the Sermon on the Mount, tells his disciples at the end of that sermon that we are to be perfect, therefore, as our heavenly Father is perfect. Now, here's our problem. We can't attain this. We, we can't live up to these high standards that God holds for us, that we must be perfect in everything that we do. It's too high of a standard for us. And here's, here's the thing, like we know this, we, we feel this. I, I constantly am dealing with frustrations about not meeting my own expectations and you do it as well. Whether it's your goals or your productivity at work or keeping your cool with your kids or showing self-restraint with your eyes or your mouth or with your stomach or your propensity to speak of others behind their back. I mean, you can go down a whole list of things. We can't live up even to our own standards, let alone God's standards for us. And so if we're really honest with ourselves, like if if our incapability humbles us enough It drives us to a place where we admit that we need help. Now, here's the good news for us, all right? God not only sets the standard, but he meets the standard. And he meets the standard on our behalf. He meets it for us through Jesus. When Jesus says he is going away in verse 3, he's speaking about the cross and his resurrection, 
the way he goes to prepare a place for us in, this fa- in the Father's house that has many rooms, a lot of space, is through his death and through his new life. The, cost of, the reason he has to do this is because the cost of our sin is death. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And so, and Jesus, who is tempted in every single way as we are, he was without sin. And because he was without sin, he's able to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, which is pay the price of sin. That's why Romans 5.6 says this, while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus is the way because he is the one who paid the penalty for our sin. You see, God being completely holy could not associate with us because we had sin in our life. The price of our sin had to be paid for us to be with the Father himself. And Jesus goes to prepare a place for us in heaven with the Father by willingly dying in our place. And this is why Jesus is the way. And no one can come to the Father except through him because through the offering of his life, he perfects us forever. That's why Acts 4.12 says this, there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Now there, there was a commercial that came out years and years ago by Maxwell House Coffee where the son on Christmas morning shows up really early to his parents' house. And what he does whenever he shows up, his parents had no idea that he was showing up. He goes into the kitchen and he turns on the coffee pot with Maxwell House Coffee in the pot and it starts to brew the coffee and it starts to trickle down and it's making all these smells throughout the house. And so it wakes up his parents. His parents come into the kitchen to see who turned on the coffee, what's making all the ruckus, and they see their son there, and they're just elated. They go, they grab him by the neck, there's a huge embrace, and you can see just these huge smiles that are both on the son's face and the parent's face. And what is happening here is there's just this moment that even the coldest of hearts are warmed by what's taking place in this. And here's what I think helps point us to what is going on in that reality. The truth is we all long for heaven. Every single one of us, we long for the perfection that resides in heaven. We long to be with the God who created us. And the reality is that only Christ can get us there. And he's the way. And by trusting in him, he'll take us all the way home. The commercial reminds us that our hearts have this propensity to turn towards where we truly belong, and that's with God himself. Now, the reason that Jesus can be the way, that he can truly lay down his life for us because he's the perfect sinless sacrifice for us, it's only because he is also the truth. So here's our second point. Jesus is the truth, and he reveals God's heart. So Jesus has told his disciples that he is leaving and where he's going, they cannot follow. And the disciples, like we've already talked about, are confused. Thomas speaks up for them and says, we don't know where you're going, Jesus. And how can we know the way? Which is where Jesus makes his statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Then Jesus makes this really important remark. He says, if you know me, you will also know my father. What Jesus is saying is that God has made himself known through Jesus as his son. 
So as I've already shared, I have little boys in my house. And what I've learned about being a parent is whenever you have a child, it's almost like you're living with your heart outside of your body. So when we moved here to St. Louis, we would go and take our kids to the park and our boys would go and approach kids that they've never met and they would try to make friends. And as they do this, like as a parent, you're just like, oh, please, please like him. Oh, please, like, be kind to him. Please, please go play with him. Please don't, please don't hurt him. And maybe even the scarier part on top of that is that these little ones that are our children, they become like these little images of us. And so my wife and I have found ourselves making, um, seeing our kids go around our house and do little mannerisms that we do or Recently, our, one of our boys um, has picked up this statement where he says, well, that's not good after he like makes a spill or he breaks something in the house. And so my wife and I, we heard this and it, it's kind of funny. It's a com- like comical for us to hear him say this because he's just got this wit to him. But we, we looked at each other the first time that we heard him say it and he's like, where did, they, where did he learn this statement? Well, that's not good. And we, we had to come to this realization. He learned it from us. He, he picked up this statement from us. You see, our kids, they inherit our sayings, they inherit our mannerisms, but oftentimes, and most importantly, they end up inheriting our passions and our convictions. And in the same way, Jesus being the truth is the truth because he is the copy or the image of God. He's God in the flesh. Hebrews 1.3 says this about Jesus, that Jesus is the son, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact re- expression of his nature. Colossians 1.15 says this about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. The word image in that last passage, Colossians 1.15, uses this word for image called icon, which is obviously where we get the word icon. And icon means that there's this precise copy and an exact reproduction, as in like a fine sculpture or even a portrait of a particular person. And so to call Christ the icon of God means he is the exact reproduction of God himself. Colossians 2.9 says of Jesus, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. See, since Jesus is the truth, since he's the image of, of God, since he's the son of God, he is God's heart outside of his body. And by looking at him in his life, we know what God is like. We know his passions, we know his desires, we know his convictions, we know what God loves and what he hates, we know what he values and what he finds insignificant. Now, this is where things get really good for us, okay? The Bible tells us that Jesus is the recipient of God's love and the one in whom God looked upon with favor and was pleased in him. But also, Jesus was sent by the Father for us. Things like John 3.16, passages that we know so well. Later in the farewell discourse, Jesus prays and he says this, Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you and they have known that you have sent me. I made your your name known to them and will continue to make it known. And look at this, so that the love you have loved me with may be in them. There's a story that I heard from a pastor a few years ago that's really stuck with me. 
He, this pastor would go to a diner on a regular basis, just kind of a place where he would read and study and have meetings with people for like lunch or coffee. And so he was there one morning and um, as he was there, every time that he goes, there's this little pack of women and what he had picked up, they were dressed pretty promiscuously and what he had heard through their conversations is that they were actually this group of prostitutes that had gotten off of work and to be off of work, it was early in the morning and they would go and they would have this little breakfast together. And so he would hear them, he would see them regularly. And one morning he heard them talking about one of the, the ladies that was there, their birthday was coming up. And they made the statement like of when the date was and what day it was going to be. And so this pastor went to his small group back at his church and he asked them if they could throw this lady a surprise birthday party. And so on the date that he found out was her actual birthday, they brought balloons, they made a cake and they put her name on the cake as he overheard it from their conversation. And so this group of women shows up that morning to see the balloons and the decorations all over the diner and they see this cake with her name that's written in bold letters on it. And as they're doing it, they start singing, they, they yell surprise, they start singing happy birthday to her. And so her friends, they're just ecstatic for her. They're just excited. They can't believe that this group of strangers would come and do this thing for this woman. But she's just very stoic. She's quiet. She's not speaking. She just has this stern look on her face. And so after they've sung happy birthday, after they've yelled surprise, um, the pastor goes over to her and she's just standing over this cake that they've made for her. And as he goes up to her, he sees that there's those tears that are rolling down her cheek. And as he goes and he sees her overlooking the cake, he says, would you like a piece? I can cut you a piece of your own cake. She looks up at him and says, I've never had someone make me a cake before. In my whole entire life, in every single birthday that I've had, I've never had my own birthday cake. Instead of eating my cake, could I just have it? Could I just keep it? it? It's the most loving thing that anyone has ever done for me. And so the pastor is like, yeah, absolutely. You can take the cake, you can take it home. And so what she does is she gently lifts up the cake. She holds it and she walks out the door. And her friends look back at him and begin to tell her, tell him a little bit about her story and that she didn't even know what family she came from and she didn't know where she was supposed to be, all the houses that she bounced around in and kind of what led up to her point in time of why she was in the career that she was in. She had gone through life really not knowing what love was like. And so this was one of the most loving things that she had ever experienced in her whole entire life. Listen, God did the most loving thing for you by sending Jesus to die in your place. But even more than that, more than just like giving us this great gift of his own life, God did more than that. In sending Jesus, God secured not only his love for us, but he secured it in us permanently for all eternity. See, Jesus is the truth because he is the son of God. He's the image of God. He's God in the flesh. And he reveals God's heart to us, which is spilling out 
for us and is now permanently secure in us because of what Jesus has done for us. You see, Jesus came so not only that he could lay down his life for us, but that he might reveal the heart of God to us, which is spilling over in love for us. And he came to permanently secure, not just something that can be done for us and then taken away. No, he's come and he's secured it deeply inside of us. You see, Jesus is the way and he'll take us all the way home, but he's also the truth because he comes and reveals the heart of God to us. He is God's heart outside of his body. We know what God is like by looking at Jesus. And by looking at Jesus, we know that God's heart overflows in love for us. But Jesus, through his life and death and his resurrection, has permanently secured God's love in us by what he has done for us because he is the truth. So lastly, Jesus is the way and he'll take us all the way home. Jesus is the truth and reveals God's heart to us. But lastly, Jesus is the life and he brings God's help to us. When Jesus speaks of life, he's speaking of eternal life. First John 5, 11 says this, God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Jesus as the way and the truth brings us life when we fully trust in his work that he's done for us. And he secures this life in us, which is what Jesus is saying at the end of verse seven. So we looked at, if you know me, you also know my father. By looking at Jesus, we also know who the father is. But look at this, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. What is happening here is this phrase from now on can be translated assuredly. Like from here on out, you are going to know who God is because you have seen him because you've seen me. This word know here means experientially. We know God because we've seen Jesus. We are assuredly to move forward with him because from here on out, he is going to be secured inside of us. A few verses later, Jesus tells his disciples in verses 16 through 17, I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. He lives with you and he will be in you. You see, God's spirit unites us or connects us to Jesus Christ. A modern Christian author puts it like this. The Holy Spirit is like an umbilical cord that unites us to Christ and through him imparts his life to us. So here's what's happening. All right. Jesus has left his rightful place in heaven to come down to earth putting on human flesh, and he's the image of God to us. We know what God is like. He reveals the heart of God to us because we see God himself in Jesus. He's God in the flesh. But beyond that, Jesus also gives us eternal life. And the way that he does that is he secures eternal life in us by God coming and making his home inside of us through the Holy Spirit who comes and make his, makes his home in us. We are permanently secured to Jesus through the Holy Spirit, God himself, who comes to live inside of us. And this life that comes only from Jesus is imparted to us through the Holy Spirit as he's like the umbilical cord between a mother and her child in her womb, who is constantly giving the resources and the life that it needs in order to come to full fruition. That's exactly what God does for us. He comes to us and we who were poor, 
who are dead in our sin are now made rich in kings in his kingdom. Back in the 1600s, it was said that King Charles of England moved to a village called Newmarket. Now, this was a place that was known for its poverty. It was a place that the poor resided, but it was said in almost overnight that this poverty-stricken place became a permanent place of wealth. And this is the meaning of what it means for us to have Christ in us, for us to know him because we have seen him. Christ the King has come to live inside of us because the Holy Spirit has come and set up his residence in our soul. And our, our spiritual poverty is now turned to wealth. See, God doesn't leave us, nor does he forsake us. Rather, he comes to us and he makes his home inside of us. Until Christ comes to bring us to God's dwelling place, God comes to us and makes his permanent dwelling place in our life. So Jesus, he's the way. And he's the one that brings us home. He's the one that lays down his life for us. He is the truth because he is God's heart outside of his body. He's the one that reveals the very heart of God to us because he is God in the flesh. He's also the one who brings us life, eternal life, because he come and permanently secures his life inside of ours by giving us the Holy Spirit. So what are we to do with this, right? Like, how are we to respond to this idea that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life? Well, I think the answer is within the very first verse of our passage tonight. Jesus says this, believe in God, but believe also in me. When Jesus declares, I'm the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, he's presenting us with this invitation to come and believe him, to believe what he's saying about himself, the claim that he is making that you cannot get to God apart from Jesus. We needed a person who lived perfectly on our behalf because we couldn't do that for ourselves. So Jesus came and he laid down his life for us. And because he's the perfect sacrifice, God in the flesh who laid down his life for you and me, he is the only way for us to have a relationship with God and for us to have an eternity that resides with him in heaven. So my question for you tonight is this, will you believe in him? For the first time, maybe will you believe in Jesus as the one to the, the way to the Father in heaven. Confess it with your mouth and believe it deep in your heart as this new way of life for you, believing and trusting solely in Jesus that he is the way that you can have a right relationship with God himself. Now, you may be a person that said, I, I've responded to this and Josh, I, I do believe, but I feel like I'm just holding on by a thread. This last year has been extremely difficult for many of us, some more than others. And we may just feel like we're holding by, on by a thread. Now, my boys, they love to get back rides from me right now. Like I, they're eight and below. And so they love getting piggyback rides with me. They love getting piggyback rides with me most going up our stairwell. And so I'll get down at the bottom. I'll get down on my knees. They jump on my back. I stand up. And I always say this to them right before we take off. Say, okay, put your arms around daddy's neck and just hold on to me as tight as you can. But what I've found is whenever we go rushing up those stairs, that about halfway up, their hands are just, they're up, they're just enjoying the ride. The, 
grip is, that is most important is not the one that they have on me, but the one that I have on, him, on them. And here's the thing for you, Christian, all right? You may be feeling like you're holding on by a thread, but here's the good news for you. Your grip on your salvation is not the most important grip. The most important grip on your salvation is the grip that it has on you. And because of the truth that Jesus is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. He's the one that imparts life to you, that he's come and set up his permanent residence in you, that the Holy Spirit resides on you. It's a seal. It's this promise that he's never going to let you go. He has this permanent grip on you, and your grip is not the one that matters, but it's the grip that God has on you. So believe. Continue to move forward. Don't give up. Keep holding on tight, but knowing that he's holding on tight even more than you are yourself and that his grip is more important than your own. So let's conclude with a short little story. In 2010, um, there's a new story that went out that these 33 Chilean miners, um, they just, they got stuck in a mine for two months. I mean, can you imagine being stuck in a dark jury, jury place that's tightly confined like that? for two months. What had happened is there was a single block of stone that was 45 story, that was the size of a 45 story building that had broken off from the mountain that they were doing their mining in and it fell through the layers of the mine and it trapped these 33 miners for that two month time period. Now, it was a mega block of stone, 770,000 tons. That's two times the weight of the Empire State Building. And this is what was sealing them off from the rest of humanity. And to rescue them, NASA actually stepped in. So they came up with the idea of how to drill through this mega stone. And then they made this capsule that would fit through the hole that they had drilled in order to extract the miners one by one from this mine. And so after their rescue, as all 33 were rescued, one of the main questions the miners were asked was about their experience of going through this hole that was drilled through this megastone. And one of the miners answered like this, was it narrow? Yes. Was it uncomfortable? Absolutely. But in the end, it was beautiful because it was our only way out. I just wanted to get out to see the light again. Listen, Jesus is the way. He is the truth and he is the life and no one comes to the Father except through him. Just as they were, these miners were extracted through this mega stone, through this small little capsule. Was it the was it narrow? Yes, absolutely. Jesus is an exclusive way for us to get to the Father in heaven. Was it uncomfortable at times following Jesus? Yes, absolutely. Life doesn't necessarily get easier when we follow Jesus. It can be a challenge and at times be even more difficult than life beforehand. But in the end, he's the most beautiful because he's the one solution. He's the one way to the Father into heaven itself. Will you believe him? Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we wrestle with who Jesus is and what he's claimed to be and how he's made this mark that by laying down his life, he is the one way for us to get to heaven. I pray that you would give us faith 
For those, maybe it's for the very first time that we would trust Jesus and believe that he is our only solution to the problem that we have in our life that is sin. And he is the one way that we can be made right with God. Would you give us trust and belief in Jesus? For those of us who have made that decision to follow Jesus, but have just been wrecked by life, I pray that you would you would have your grip so firmly set on us as you've promised that you would never let us go. Even though our arms may go up into the air as we're going through this wild ride of life, I pray that you would hold on securely to us and that you would never let us go. Help us move forward. Help us persevere and endure through this beautiful picture that we have of being permanently with you in heaven. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.